0: Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles tonight and go with me to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians and chapter number 10 this evening. 2 Corinthians and chapter number 10. Let me thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord's house these last few evenings. And I trust that. Your time with the people of God and around the Word of God has been beneficial to your spirit and to your soul. I know it has been encouraging to mind, but 2 Corinthians in chapter 10, I going to remind you of where we have been these last few evenings, and that is this. We began on Sunday night with understanding what our responsibility is to protect our family, That any true work of revival externally, any true work of revival that would extend to our neighborhoods, our communities, our jobs, and that's a work that begins internally. That's a work that begins in your heart and in mine. It begins in your family and in mine. And we took time on Sunday evening to talk about the importance of protecting our family. Not simply protecting our family physically, although that's certainly a part of it, but protecting our family ultimately spiritually by ensuring that our children are being brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That as husbands, we're leading our wives well and we're leading them in line with the Word of God. That we're leading our families in this capacity. To protect our families. And then Monday evening we took time to consider what does it mean then to be the church. That serving God would mean that we are serving the church. You say, well, why is that? Well, because this is what God loves. This is what Jesus loves. Jesus loves the church. So you can't no more say, well, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. That is like saying, well, I like you, Dave. I just hate Amanda. And you cannot love me and hate my wife. This is, this is, you can't do this. And to love me would mean that you love what I love. And I love Amanda. So you would love Amanda too. And to love Jesus would mean you love what Jesus loves. And what does Jesus love? He loves the church and he gave himself for it, the Bible says. And so we protect our families. We become the church. And then last night, we spent time talking about what it means to engage the culture. Tonight, we're talking about this, that as we do these things, as we protect our family, as we become the church, and as we engage in the culture around us, we must walk in maturity. That's the title tonight, Walk in Maturity. There's nothing wrong with being a five-year-old. I hope we have five-year-olds in our church. I hope our church is full of children, five, six, seven, eight years old. There's nothing wrong with being a five-year-old. There's nothing wrong with being a 15-year-old. We have our young adults sitting down here in the front. I love the fact that they're in the front. There's nothing wrong with being 15. But if you are the same maturity at the age of 15 as you were at the age of five and something is wrong There's nothing wrong with being 15 nothing wrong with being 35 years old nothing wrong with being 55 years old nothing wrong with being sick you get the point but if you are at the same level of maturity at 15 that you were at five, or if you are at the same level of maturity at 35 that you were at 15, or if you have the same maturity at 55 that you did at 35, then something is wrong. If someone was 55 years of age, but they were acting like a 15-year-old, you wouldn't think that's admirable. You wouldn't look at that person and go, wow, that's great, good for you you would be saying to that person, act your age. You're supposed to be grown up. You you are supposed to have maturity. There are certain aspects of your life that you are supposed to be leaving behind because you are growing into maturity. Walk in maturity. There are different kinds of maturity, of course. There's physical maturity. That's having a well-developed and healthy body. There's intellectual maturity that's having developed a consistent worldview. One that aligns itself with the scripture and one that aligns itself with common sense and reason. There's psychological maturity that's being able to have relationships with other people, being able to maintain those relationships, being able to carry the weight of relationships, being able to bear the burden of responsibility, showing yourself to be mature. But there's another kind of maturity, which is what we're talking about tonight. And that is spiritual maturity. Just what is spiritual maturity? How do we have spiritually mature individuals? How do we mature spiritually? Let me give you one verse to look to before we jump in to to 2 Corinthians. Go to Colossians with me. Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse number 28. The same guy who wrote the book of Colossians is the guy who wrote the book of 2 Corinthians. His name is the Apostle Paul. He wrote the vast majority of the New Testament. And he's writing this to the church at Colossae. And he is saying to them, this is what maturity is. He is saying to them what I am saying to you tonight. Walk in maturity. Look at verse 28. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, and here is our word, perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So the word perfect in the Bible is what our word means as mature. So Paul is saying that you and I should be living, should be teaching, should be practicing, should be doing life in such a way that we are doing it with wisdom so that we may present ourselves to the world that is watching, to those that are following, and to Christ, who of course is who we are truly living for, that we may present ourselves, what the Bible is saying is, perfect or mature. So, write this down just in the introduction. Spiritual maturity begins by knowing Christ. Spiritual maturity begins by knowing Christ. And then we grow in our maturity as we grow in our understanding of Christ, in our relationship with Christ, in our following in Christ's example. You understand? So spiritual maturity begins by knowing Christ. But you are, when you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you are what Paul is saying later. You are a baby in Christ. Of course you have this brand new life. You're this brand new individual. You are a new creature. The old man has passed away. You're somebody brand new. Aren't you thankful for that? That when you got saved, you were made somebody brand new. The old you is gone. And now you're somebody brand new in Christ. But what Paul is saying is that somebody brand new is a babe in Christ. You are a baby in Christ. And that you must now, in this new life, grow in maturity. So that you can desire, like a baby, the sincere milk of the word. So that you can then digest the meat and the bread of the word. So that you, in your spiritual growth that you will be growing and showing signs of maturity so that when you look back on your life and say, well, I've been saved for 30 years, where is the maturity? There are some Christians who have been saved for 40 years or 50 years, and yet they act as if they've only been saved five. And so we want to grow in spiritual maturity. And how do we do this? We grow in our maturity by growing in our understanding of Christ, by growing in our relationship with Christ. I will tell you this, that there are many conflicts in life, mistakes, doctrinal errors, struggles, battles, that come specifically as a result of immaturity. There are some conflicts in this life that we face I'm talking spiritually now that comes specifically as a result of our spiritual immaturity and so we must become spiritual grown-ups We must become spiritual grown-ups. We must increase in our understanding of Christ. We must deepen our relationship with Christ. And we must pursue in this life the example that Christ has laid down for us. What what does immaturity then look like? Immaturity looks like three things. You can write this down for your introduction. Immaturity looks like three things. Immaturity first looks like inconsistency. Immature Christians, they are on fire for Jesus one day. And then they are happy to go out and party and get drunk and live for the world the next day. There's no long-term fruitfulness. There's no long-term faithfulness. One day they are all, go, 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 go. And then the next day they are all, no, 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 no. One day they are all saying, we live for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all. And the next day they are saying, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. Spiritually immature people are inconsistent. An- another sign of immature spiritual individuals is that immature Christians have impatience. They, they can't see past the faults of others. They're overly critical of other Christians. They're overly critical of the church. They look for quick fixes. They have unrealistic expectations of people. They, they don't know what it's like to deal with anyone in any kind of long-term setting. They're very impatient. You notice this about children? Children have no patience. Emery would go, candy, and I'll say, later. She'll stand there. Candy, later. Candy, later. She doesn't know it. She's impatient. You know why? Because she's two. Immature Christians are inconsistent. Immature Christians are impatient. Immature Christians tend to have an imbalance. That's the third idea. They're they're given to extremes. Listen closely. They're given to extremes. They're, They're either really harsh or very carefree. They're either very legalistic or they're very licentiousness. Just open. They're given to one extreme or the other. They have no balance. They're not walking in step they are not, as what Paul is telling us later, they are not being circumspect about the steps that they are taking. They are just harsh, or they're carefree, or they're just saying, no, it has to be this, and this is it, and the only thing it can be is this. Or they're saying, no, it's never this, it's never that, and they're never balance. It's always teeter and totter. There's this inconsistency, there's this impatience, there's this imbalance that is taking place in the life of spiritual, immature people. And what we are seeing in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is we are seeing Paul direct our, to direct our attention to be spiritually mature. And what he is providing us in chapter 10 is consistency, patience, balance, all of which goes along with Christian maturity. Chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians is a vindication of the Apostle Paul's ministry, He is writing to the church at Corinth and he's vindicating just what is the authority that he has to be telling them what he is telling them. So he's vindicating his ministry, one. But second, he is validating his maturity. He is saying, look, I am showing you what the marks of mature Christians are. And you Christians at Corinth are not walking in maturity. You are walking in immaturity. You are not having consistency or patience or balance. Instead, you are having inconsistency and impatience and imbalance. And namely, they are having that toward the Apostle Paul. So they are very impatient with Paul. They're very, they're out of balance with Paul's ministry. They're They're inconsistent even in how they are treating him. And so Paul is writing as a way of vindicating his ministry, but he's also writing this as a sign of the maturity that we as Christians are to have. So I'm giving them to you in three ways, and they're just in contrast. Here you go, number one. Mature Christians are eager to be gentle, but ready to be bold. Look at verse one and look at verse two. Verse 1, now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent am bold towards you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we have walked according to the flesh. So let me tell you what Paul is dealing with here. Paul is writing to the church, and he is confronting something in the church. So you know this by way of reflection. So this is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. Corinth has given a report back to Paul on what they think about him. And Paul has heard it. And now Paul is writing this letter back to the church. And in writing the letter, he's dealing with all kinds of errors. He's dealing with all kinds of sin. But this is one of the things that he is dealing with. And that is this, that they think that Paul is very strong and bold when he writes a letter. But when he comes in person, he is very timid and he is very shy. So they're saying about Paul, well, when you write letters, you seem strong. But when we meet you in person, you seem really soft. And so they're saying this about Paul. You're gonna see this actually. Go forward in the chapter, go to verse number 10. So Paul is quoting them. He is saying, for his letters, he's talking about himself, for his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence Is weak and his speech contemptible. So they're saying about Paul, well, you sound really tough when you write your letter, but when we met you in person, you seemed pretty timid. What Paul is saying is, you think that this is a sign of weakness, but I am telling you that this is a sign of maturity. Because Paul is saying, I am eager to be gentle. But I am ready to be bold. So Paul had written them strong letters. And then when Paul shows up, they are whispering about Paul. They are are saying, that's Paul? That's the guy? Really? This is him? This is the person we heard so much about? So Paul is doing two things here. First, he um, he is acknowledging his weakness. The accusation that he is in fact weak. So Paul's, Paul is saying, look at verse one. Paul is saying, I, I'm not desiring to come in among you with guns blazing. No, he says, first I beseech you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Paul is saying, I am willing to accommodate. I am eager to help. I am slow to wrath. I am slow to anger. I am quick to Listen. How many problems in our relationships would be helped or altogether avoided if we would have a spirit of gentleness and meekness? Wouldn't it be amazing if when we were hurt or if when we were confused or if when we were scared, Our first attitude was an attitude of meekness and gentleness instead of an attitude of harshness and meanness. Your relationship with your wife would change if you would treat her with gentleness and meekness. Your relationship with your parents would change if you would treat them with gentleness and meekness. Your relationship with your children would change if you would treat them with gentleness and meekness. Paul is demonstrating here, he's not simply interested in winning the argument. Of course, he's going to present facts that are going to win the argument. Don't get me wrong, Paul is a very intellectual individual. He's going to win the argument, but that is not first what he is trying to do. He is not first trying to win the argument. He is trying to win the people. He is trying to win the person. So Paul is saying to them, I am coming to you in meekness. And what I am telling you, I am telling you in gentleness. But if need be, if you choose to remain obstinate in your sin, if you choose to be stubborn in your disobedience, Paul is saying, I promise you I know how to be bold. That is what he is saying in verse 2. I beseech you. I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some. Do you see how he is doing this? He is saying, there is an accusation of weakness against me, yes. However, I am willing to be bold if I must. This is what Christian maturity looks like. There are are some Christians who are all, they're yes and amen when it comes to gentleness. But they are silent when it comes to boldness. And there are some Christians who are yes and amen when it comes to boldness. But they have no gentleness. There are some mean people in the church who fancy themselves to be courageous and they are not courageous, they're just mean. And there are some nice people in the church who fancy themselves to be gentle, but they are not gentle, they are cowards. Do you see? Christian maturity is saying, I am eager to be gentle. But I am willing to be bold. Second, Christian maturity, Paul is saying, is that we live in the flesh, but we do not live according to the flesh. That's what he's saying really verse 2 and verse 3, which he's saying, I'm willing to be bold against some who are just going to stay obstinate in their position against me. He is saying, but this is what you need to know, that, that they think that we have walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war. After the flesh. Paul is saying very much like what Jesus is saying. We are in the world. We are not of the world. Of course he is saying we experience frustration in the flesh. Paul is acknowledging that he walks in the flesh. Paul is acknowledging that he is a real human being. With real weaknesses. With real limitations. With real deficiencies. Paul is saying yes. Of course, that is true of me. And of course, that is true of everyone, is it not? There are no perfect people. There are no perfect churches. There are no perfect pastors. There are no perfect people. Now Paul is saying, of course we experience frustration in living in the flesh. Paul later on writes about this and he says, we're not some kind of super apostle. Paul writes and says, do not count me among those who have done all of these great things for which they are very quick to tell you about their own greatness. Paul says, if you want to understand me, understand me as this. I am the chiefest among sinners. If you want to understand my ministry, understand my ministry as this, of having been given a treasure inside a jar of clay. Understand my ministry as one of dirt and flesh. If you want to understand where I am coming from or where I am going in this life, understand that there are a thousand things that I would change if I could. There are thorns in the flesh of which I wrestle every day, Paul is saying. So Paul is saying, if what you are looking for is some so-called super apostle, well, then you have the wrong guy because I am, a, I am an imperfect and weak man. I have this body. I have this, I have this thorn in my flesh. I do not have some super potion to offer you. I do not shoot lightning out of my fingertips. I do not have webs that I can sling around everywhere. Paul is saying, no, of course not. I'm an ordinary person in the flesh. You read the rest of the text, I don't have time tonight, but read the rest of this chapter, you'll see where Paul is really contrasting himself against those who are coming in and they're always just bragging about themselves. They're commending themselves. Here's what I've done, here's what I did, here's how awesome I am. Here's all the books that I have written, right? They're commending themselves, commending themselves, commending themselves. And Paul is saying, better that the Lord would commend you than you commend yourself. Better that the Lord commends you, because if the Lord does, then the Lord gets the glory. And if anyone is going to glory, let them glory in the Lord. Paul is saying, of course, we experience frustration in the flesh. But he is also saying, second, that we do not make excuses for living according to the flesh. And here is the balance. Paul is saying, I live in this fleshly world. That is true. And many people get confused by this, so follow very closely. But Paul is saying, I am not living this life with fleshly and fallen and sinful motives. There are some people who want to embrace this idea that, well, we're all sinners, so we might as well just go ahead and sin. And they want to live this life as some kind of ecstatic, Failureism. They, they want to just justify why it is that they keep living in this way, in rebellion against God, in rebellion against His word. And so Paul is saying, "No, this is not right. You cannot simply justify your sin all the time by saying, "Well, I'm a sinful person, so you might as well deal with it. Do we have grace just so sin can abound? Of course not, He is saying to the Romans, "God forbid that we would see grace like that." And see, there is a way to speak of our weaknesses which owns our fleshly existence. But there is also a way to speak of our weaknesses that excuse our sin and our disobedience. And Paul is saying, I am not here to excuse away sin. I am acknowledging that I am in the flesh, yes, but I am not warring after the flesh. So Paul's argument is simply this, uh, my motivation, my goal, my influence, it's it's not coming from the flesh. I'm I'm not waging war against someone else in the flesh. Of course hard decisions have to be made. Of course you have disagreements with people. Of course this, ha- this happens. And of course this is not always done in the right way. But we are pursuing and striving after godliness. Paul is saying my pursuit is one of godliness. Some mature Christians under understanding this. Mature Christians are saying we live in the flesh but not according to the flesh. Mature Christians are eager to be gentle, but they're they're, they're willing and they're ready to be bold. And then fourth, or third rather, verse, verse four. Mature Christians love peace, but engage in war. This is verse four. Paul is saying, verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. But notice this, he is not saying we do not have a war. He is saying, of course, there is a war. Verse four, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Listen, verse six, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Paul is using, and as he does often, he's using the image of warfare in his letters. He's saying the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh, but the weapons of our warfare are of divine power to to, to, to the pulling down or the the destroying of, of strongholds. Namely, what Paul is arguing for, what Paul is longing for, is he's longing for reconciliation in the churches. Paul wants peace, But Paul sees himself at war. The life of the Christian is one which is at a constant warfare. Because Satan offers you, he offers me no truce. Our flesh does not cease to tempt us. Sinners around us continue to make life difficult for us. And if we were honest, sometimes we are the sinners who are making life difficult for everyone else. So yes, we want peace. But if you just lay down your weapons and you say, okay, fine, I want peace. No war to be had here. Well, that sounds nice, but does that mean that the devil stops attacking us? No, of course not. Does that mean that the flesh stops attacking us? No, of course not. Does that mean the world stops attacking us? No, of course not. So Paul is saying, of course we want peace. That's what we love. That's what we long for. But we also recognize that we are in a war. But Paul is saying that the weapons of our warfare are not the same weapons of everyone else's warfare. That the way we do war isn't the way everyone else does war. The Christian army looks altogether different than the army of the world. So notice notice Paul's battle plan here. He is saying in verse 4, we destroy strongholds. We pull them down. We flatten them. Notice verse 5. He is saying, and we bring into captivity. He's saying, we take prisoners. And in verse 6, notice he is saying, and we punish rebels. He is saying, and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. These are, these are the three steps of how we engage in war as a Christian. And let me give them to you quickly. We destroy strongholds. Paul here is speaking of the, the strongholds in your mind. He is saying in verse 5, casting down imaginations. So things that are happening in your mind. Every high thing that exalted itself, notice here, against the knowledge of God. Notice again, bringing into captivity every thought. I told you last night that the spiritual warfare is one that is first engaged in your mind. It's a war for the mind. Satan's primary attack against you is one in your mind because he knows that if he can get us to think wrongly, then he can push us to live wrongly. Your life, my life, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thought. You know what a stronghold is? It's a fortress. It's a fortress. It's something that has built up walls. You tell yourself something over and over. You think that thought long enough. And pretty soon, that thought becomes a belief. That belief, Paul is saying, that is a stronghold. The devil is trying to keep you in that. He's trying to tell you, you cannot trust people. You'll never succeed. You'll always be broke. You'll never have a good marriage. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't listen to your prayers. It's what Paul is saying in this text is false philosophies, false feelings, false conclusions. He's getting you to think wrong. He's getting you to feel wrong. So he's getting you to do wrong. Can I give you a word of warning here? Don't believe everything you think. Don't believe everything you think. Every thought you've had isn't the truth. Simply because you've had the thought doesn't make the thought correct. Doesn't make the thought right. Doesn't make the thought true. But this is how the devil is getting into our hearts. This is how he's getting into our lives if I walk out of my front yard, if I walked across my front yard on the same path for a hundred days straight, I just walked right across the same path and I walked right back. You know what I would do in, the, in my front yard? What would I make? I would make a path. I'd make a rut. We'd start off, just the grass would be killed, then be just the dirt, the grass can't grow, then eventually that would become this little groove, then eventually it would become a rut. You think about a lie for a hundred days in a row. Guess what? You've created in your life. You've created a rut, a stronghold, a path. It's a false philosophy, which is creating inside of you false feelings, which is leading you to false conclusions. Do not believe everything you think. Can I give you another helpful piece of advice on this? It doesn't matter if you say no, I'm going to do it anyway, so just say yes. Garbage in your mind. Garbage out of your mind. What that means is you must guard your mind from garbage. Well, let me just share with you a prayer request of mine. Oh, please share with me your prayer request. Okay, my prayer request is sister so-and-so and and her husband are having... That's not a prayer request. That's gossip. Guard your mind from garbage. Destroy strongholds. That's what Paul is saying. Destroy strongholds. Paul is saying, second, take prisoners. That's what he says in verse number five, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So if you were engaged in a war, once you kicked down the enemy's fortress, well then what do you do? You take captives. You take prisoners. Paul is saying what the captives and the prisoners are, are our thoughts. He's saying we're, we're, we're taking captive Our thoughts, and we're causing our thoughts, notice, to be in obedience to Christ. So the picture here is this army that storms a fortress, they knock down the wall, they breach the gates, and then they start taking captives. And we'll be very clear, we're not talking about taking physical captives. We'll be very clear. We're talking about taking captive spiritual thoughts which means we're, we're helping people to think thoughts after God. We're helping to think on things that are true and honest and just and pure and of a good report. And if there is any virtue and if there is any praise, then we are thinking on these things. You ever, you ever get on the Yelp and do read the Yelp reviews? How many of you read Yelp reviews? My wife has a mission in life, and that is to write good Yelp reviews. So there's her whole goal. Even if the restaurant's terrible, she wants to write a good Yelp review. It's like, well, the waiter smiled. <laughs> ba- baby, don't, that's not, that, was not, that was not good lunch. Don't write a good review. She goes, no, because everybody just wants to get on there and just trash every restaurant, right? Every Yelp review, just everybody complaining. My food was slow, (laughs) whatever. This is, Paul is saying this, Paul is saying, I am making it my mission to take captive my thoughts, to think on things true, honest, just, of good report, of virtue, and of praise. And if I'm going to think on anything, This is what I'm going to think on. Are you taking captive every thought? Let me me give you a way to discern whether you are taking captive every thought. Here's, Here's a couple questions for you. First, ask yourself, where did the thought come from? Where did that thought come from? Second, ask yourself this question. Where will these thoughts lead me? Third, ask yourself Will these thoughts get me to where I want to go? Fourth, are these thoughts scripturally acceptable? Next, Will these thoughts build me up or tear me down? Next. Could I share these thoughts with somebody else? Next. Have I shared these thoughts with somebody else? Last, do these thoughts show me to be a follower of Christ? So we are asking ourselves questions about our thoughts, and we're bringing those thoughts then into captivity to the obedience of the Word of God. And last, we are destroying strongholds, we are taking prisoners, and we are punishing rebels. This is really what Paul is saying here at the end. He is saying in verse six, and having a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So Paul is not saying, I just want you Corinthians to know, ha ha ha, I'm ready to punish your disobedience. No, that's not what he's saying. Paul is saying, you don't worry. I will confront those that are guilty of sin. Do not worry. You think I am being soft, but I will come and I will take care of the false apostles and the false prophets. But what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is, you need to show me that you are willing to do the right thing. This is one way that you know Paul is a mature individual. Because when Paul is challenged on his spiritual authority and godly ministry... Most people would say, oh yeah, you want to challenge me? Let me show you. Let me show you how strong I am. No, Paul's not doing that. Paul is saying, don't worry. You just do the right thing. You be obedient to God. And God will take care of everything else. God will take care of her. God will take care of him. God will take care of that. Amen. So you and I do not have to spend all of our energy and time trying to fight all of these things for him. He will take care of it. Just show yourself obedient. That's what he's saying. Show yourself obedient. And there is truly no greater weapon against immaturity than humble obedience. That is what Paul is saying. There's no greater way to answer questions of immaturity than just to humbly obey God. So let me ask you tonight, And I want you to think for yourself, okay? Because the temptation here is to say, and I was a a really good sermon. I know some people who need to hear that. (laughs) The the, the temptation is to go, yeah. Hey, hey, hey brother, hey, sister, here you go. I took notes for you tonight. Here you go. (laughs) Gave some extra commentary for you because I know you need it. I want you. I don't want you to think for your husband. I don't want you to think for your wife. I don't want you to think for your friend. I want you just to think for yourself tonight. Where is your area of immaturity? You see. Now more than ever, we need an army of mature Christians who know that they are weak, and yet they do battle in the strength of the Lord. We need an army of mature Christians who fight with tenderness and gentleness and grace, but who also fight with an unflinching courage and boldness for the truth. Christians who are eager for peace, but ready for war.